Pittsburgh Steelers fans, welcome back to another episode of Steelers Stat Geek. This is Behind the Steel Curtain Editor Dave Schofield coming at you again on Thursday morning. This is where we are. This is what we do. It's the last Thursday in February. I know I talk about the date often, but you know what? It gets us through. It really does. Because it wasn't so long ago, it felt like we were counting down to August. But last Thursday in February, next time we get together, it'll be March. What is March? Free agency month. We know halfway through March, the new league year starts, free agency kicks in. Whether it's stuff with the Steelers, whether it's stuff around the league, it's always fun and exciting times with that. Then the next month, it's the draft. So, I mean, we're we're moving on. Things are rolling, and it's only been not even two weeks since uh, the Super Bowl. So let's get this train a-moving. But uh, just to let you know that Thursday mornings will be the time that you typically find the Steeler Stat Geek show. I know there was one Thursday there. I had to take off um, due to a death in the family. But uh, next week, I'm on vacation, and I'm still going to be coming at you unless I have technical difficulties. Uh, the plan is that I should still uh, be here for the Thursday morning show. And I will tell you this. I need some help. I really need some help there, Nerds of Steel. I need more questions. I have run the well dry this week. I've got all I've gotten so far. I am caught up. So I need more stats questions. I need more stats questions. And the sooner you get them to me, the better. So that way I don't have to work too hard on vacation. <laughs> I hope you can understand that. So let's dive into what we're going to look at today. Well, you know what? Let's, let's hold off. Before I do that, I've got to I've got to give shout uh, you know shout out to pretty much everybody out here that that does uh, podcasts here at BTSC because we really have some good content co- that comes your way. I want to kind of go over the lineup with you a little bit in case you're wondering where where you can catch what show. Perhaps you already know, so I'll, therefore you know what I'll, I'll make it pretty quick. But here's here's the lineup. That you know that, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you got your Let's Ride in the Morning with Jeff Hartman. Um, Tuesday is the live mic, and Thursday, you're here with Stat Geek. Saturdays, it looks like we're going to have a morning Saturday show coming up really soon. So make sure you keep an eye out on that wherever you get podcasts. Anywhere you get podcasts, you can find us. Just search for Steelers. You'll see the logo behind the steel curtain. And uh, if you're an Apple podcast user, just add it. Add it to your uh, your favorite or your – I can't even remember what it's called because it's the only one that I have on mine. I should probably check these things. Add it to your library. That's what I do. You add it to your library and then, boom, everything that we, we have, it'll come there you know, right to you. So look out for, for a Saturday morning show. Then we have our, our noon lineup that runs through Saturdays. Uh, Mondays, the, the noon lineup is the is – the, Steelers draft fix with uh, Jeremy Betts and Andrew Wilbar has, has jumped in on that one. Uh, Tuesday, you have the cutting room floor. Great episode. The, la- the last two weeks, very stats centered. So uh, kudos, Jeffrey, to, to, to bring in the good stuff uh, onto your show. Uh, Wednesday, is is that's the, um, the cutting room no. Um, no, that's Tuesday's the cutting room for. What's the name of it? War Room. War Room. That's what it is with Matty P. That's what his show's called. That's the noon show on Wednesdays. Thursday later today, that's when you're going to get your what Yin's talking about. You know, you, you can get your nerd on in the morning, and then at that noon lineup, that's when you can come in and, and really uh, laugh your tail off there if that's what you're looking to do. And then Friday is the is the Here We Go show. That was the pregame show. 
I'm not, I don't know exactly what they call it, but that's that's bad. And Kevin, that's a that's a great show with the two of them together. And then on Saturdays, you've got the Ohioans with the with the Power Half Hour. Then we have the YouTube shows, uh, same lineup we've been going with, with uh, the Hangover on Mondays. They've been going earlier. That's what they do in the offseason. They go about 5.30 p.m. if you're looking to jump on live with them. Then you got the Scobro Show on Tuesdays with uh, with my brother and I. We're always right at 9 o'clock, you know, usually a little bit after 9 o'clock, but close to 9 o'clock. Uh, Wednesday night, you have Know Your Enemy with Michael Beck and Jeffrey Benedict. They're generally around around 9 o'clock, 9, 9.30, not exactly sure there. Um, Steelers preview. That's myself, uh, Jeff Hartman, Brian, Anthony Davis, the triumphant trio. We generally try to start at eight 30, which means we go about eight 45 and then Friday night on the nose, always on the nose with Tony and the six pack. It seems like he waits specifically to nine o'clock, um, on some device and then, then hits go. And then, uh, Saturday, you've got the touch down under that's usually around 5 PM Eastern, I got to make sure I say that because those guys are actually doing it on Sunday morning live coming from Australia. And then Sunday, we have another show coming. We've got another show coming. Keep an eye out for it. If we don't have it this week, maybe there'll be another Q&A like I did this past week with Jeffrey Benedict. If you didn't check that out, make sure you do. But that's our lineup. And of course, make sure you're checking out BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. It really is your one-stop shop for all things Pittsburgh Steelers. And I have to say something about BehindTheSteelCurtain.com because that's actually where this week's question comes from. It comes from a question from an article that I wrote and published, I I think, let's see, I think it published on Tuesday. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, because it was the 22nd. It was 2 2, or sorry, 2 22 22. Um, and no, it didn't run at 2 o'clock or 2 22. But uh, it, it was an article that I did that, that compared where the Steelers finished in the standings versus their team rankings. You know, and I did team rankings with you all all season, uh, comparing them to the team that they went up against. It was nice. All I had to do was go back and look at those that I did for the playoff game, and I already had them. Uh, and I also looked at even their grading according to Pro Football Focus. You know, whether you like it or not, it, at least through some data out there. And I showed how the Steelers, even though they the in the standings, the Steelers finished thirteenth. They finished 13th record-wise. No one else was tied with them. Uh, 14 teams made the postseason. They were one of the six teams that did not move past the wildcard weekend. Uh, The other team that was uh, behind them record-wise, the Eagles, they didn't make it out either. Uh, The Steelers are drafting 20th, which is 13 spots from the bottom. Bottom line is the Steelers finished 13th. And I went through and I compared all these rankings, and the Steelers – I mean, there was only a couple places where they even got close to being ranked 13th. They were way down in their rankings on offense, on defense. I mean, really the only thing that was up there, even with their grades, was the pass pass rush. The pass rush. Nothing on offense was anywhere close to 13th. Their run defense was ranked 13th, which is ironic (laughs) that it was ranked that on PFF, saying they gave up the most rushing yards um, in the NFL. But that was the grade that they had. So really, other than the pass rush, it, it seems like the Steelers really overachieved with what they did. So that article, uh, like I said, it was it was on the website on Tuesday. You can go and look look at all those numbers, it, some, some really good and interesting stuff. But there was a comment in that article that I said, hey, can I use this for StatGeek? This comment came courtesy of Farmerboy. One three eight one. That's the that's the username at behindthesteelcurtain.com. And if you're not checking out the website, there is great conversation going on. You go in, you sign up for a username. It's free. There's there, you know, all you have to do is have an email address. You just sign up for an account. 
I think you might have to wait a day until you can comment that they, you know, make sure that the it's not a fraudulent account that it's going to spam or that you're 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 creating multiple accounts and things like that. Um, and then you can comment and join in the conversation with some really good stuff. But Farmer Boy asked this. He's like, one stat I would find interesting but cannot find, and said he has tried. You know what? When you can't find the stat, you got to f- compile it yourself, which is what I did. Okay. So, okay. So this is what they said is where teams have finished with the defensive player of the year. Has there been many or any teams that have missed the playoffs while fielding the defensive player of the year? So that seems like a pretty straightforward question. And me being the numbers person that I am, not only did I answer the question, I'm ready to take it next level. We're going to answer the question, but we're also going to look beyond the question. So first let's answer the question. I went back 10 years. 10 years because I just didn't want to go any farther. And that was a good stopping point because 11 years ago was when Troy Palomalu was the defensive player of the year. Um, just kind of make that the cutoff, right? Bef- you know, since Palomalu, what has happened? So, you know, from Palomalu to what? What's happened in between? That's what I'm looking at. And bottom line is all but once has the defensive player of the year been selected from a team that made the postseason. All but once. And the, the one time that that player did not, they, their team did not make the postseason, that was in 2014. J.J. Watt was the defensive player of the year for the Houston Texans, and they did not make the postseason. They were nine and seven. Ironically, the next year, J.J. Watt won defensive player of the year, and the Houston Texans were nine and seven, but they did make the playoffs. They didn't make the playoffs. So let's do the rundown real quick of the players, how their team finished uh, in uh, with their record, you know, the numerical record. And then let's see what happened to that team in the postseason. You're going to find something pretty interesting. So here we go. TJ Watt, 2021 Defensive Player of the Year. The Steelers went 9-7-1. and And they made the postseason but lost in the wild card round. In 2020, Aaron Donald won the defensive player of the year for uh, for a team that went 10 and 6 made the playoffs won the first round but then lost in the divisional round the next year 2019 that was Stefan Gilmore of New England who went 12 and 4 went 12 and 4 we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about 2019 in a little bit um but guess what they lost in the wild card round 2018, Aaron Donald won it. They went 13 and three for the Los Angeles Rams. And they went all the way to the Super Bowl, but they lost in the Super Bowl. In 2017, that was also Aaron Donald. They had gone 11 and five. They, they made the playoffs. They lost in the wild card round. 2016, Khalil Mack of the Oakland Raiders, 12 and four, made the postseason, lost in the wild card round. I think you're, you're, I sound like a broken record here. 2015, JJ Watt, Houston. Nine and seven. Already mentioned this one. Lost in the wild card round. 2014, J.J. Watt, nine and seven. They did not make the postseason. 2013, Luke Keekley from Carolina. They went 12 and four, had a first round bye, lost in the divisional round. 2012, J.J. Watt, Houston Texans, went 12 and four. They played on wild card weekend one, but then lost the next weekend in divisional divisional round. And in 2011, that was Terrell Suggs of the Baltimore Ravens. They went 12 and four, and they they won on divisional weekend after getting a bye, lost in the conference championship. Um, so therefore, they went one to one of the postseason. 
Here's what's interesting. Now, if you want to look back, the year before was Troy Palomalu. They went 12-4, and four, and the Steelers went all the way to the Super Bowl but lost. If you look at those at, at those years, you know, throw TJ Watt in there with that one to make it to make it eleven. Um, but we're not going to look at Palomalu because I didn't add up those numbers. Okay, the it was nine years out of ten or ten years out of eleven where the defensive player of the year made the postseason. I think that's kind of what the voters almost need to vote them in. Because remember, this is voted on, but it's 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 not announced until right before the Super Bowl. So some things like that matter. I still think in 2019, if the Pittsburgh Steelers would have made the postseason, that I think there was a bigger argument for T.J. Watt in 2019, even more so than in 2020. Not Nothing against his 2020 year. Him and Aaron Donald, I thought, were really – really neck and neck. It was almost a coin flip with those two. But in 2019, Stefan Gilmore, yeah, he had all those interceptions, but man, he got burnt for a lot of touchdowns. And TJ Watt actually looked like he was more in line, but the Steelers, because that was the year Ben was out, all that kind of stuff, three games to uh, losing streak down the season, um, didn't make the postseason. TJ was not selected defensive player of the year that year. So Interesting to, to look at. But if you look at it, there's an awful lot of these teams that had the defensive player of the year, made the playoffs, didn't win a game. Didn't win a game. Let's let's look at it. Counting T.J. Watt, going all the way back to Terrell Suggs, so it would be out of 11 that if you count T.J. Watt, you are looking at, oh my goodness, one, two, three, four, five, six, six out of the 11 teams well, technically seven, including the one that didn't make the playoffs, that didn't win a playoff game. In all, teams that had the defensive player of the year since 2011 have gone a total of five and 10 in the playoffs. One team reached the Super Bowl, none of them won. Pretty interesting, pretty interesting stuff. So that's kind of the breakdown of the defensive player of the year. But I took a little bit next level because I'm like, you know, if we really want to apply this to how it would, you know, maybe excite some Steelers fans, how'd the team do the next year? I know it's an individual award, but a lot of time, but the team has to be doing well in order for the player to get noticed. We've seen this, that they just don't give the award to a player that doesn't make the playoffs very often. This is, it's very rare that that happens. They've got to have a winning record. My goodness. I mean, that, that's the only way it seems like they'll hand out the award um, going all the way back to 2010. And I could even look beyond that to, to see, but I just, I just didn't because I, I had to pick a, a cutoff point. So I went with that. What's interesting is how teams have done the next year. And what's crazy is it's, it's very boomer bust with what happens to these teams. Like for example, Aaron Donald won it in 2020. What happened the next year? Oh, yeah, that's right. The Rams went 4-0 in the postseason and won the Super Bowl. In 2019, when Stephon Gil- Gilmore won, what happened to the next year of the Patriots? Yeah, they went 7-9 and and didn't make the playoffs. In 2018, when Aaron Donald won it, um, and they went all the way to the Super Bowl and, and lost there, what happened the next season? They went 9-7, and but they didn't make the playoffs. Okay, Now, Aaron Donald, the year before that, when he – when he won, obviously, you know, winning back to back, we kind of already covered what happened in 2018. They went 13 and three and they went all the way to the Super Bowl, but lost. So for this category of looking what they do at the next year, that actually looks pretty good. 
Okay. Uh, Khalil Mack, after he won it the next year, the Raiders went six and 10 and didn't make playoffs. Um, I don't even remember when he got traded. Oh, that was 2018 when he got traded. So that was in 2017. That's what happened. Um, JJ Watt in 2015, after, after he won it, they, they once again went nine and seven and they actually won a playoff game and then lost the next week. So they won a wild card, lost in the divisional. And then, of course, the, the the year before that, when it was J.J. Watt, we know what happened the next year because it was one where he won it again. They went 9-7, and seven, made the wild card, and lost. That's actually that year where, where Houston went from not making the playoffs to then making it and losing in the wild card round. That's the only time a defensive player of the year made the playoffs the following season and didn't win a game, and their team didn't win a game. Just kind of interesting stuff, okay? I don't know if it's cause and effect. It's interesting. Uh, Luke Keekley after uh, after they uh, went twelve and four, and he won the defensive player of the year. The next year, ugh, not so well. Seven, eight, and one. Hey, but guess what? They made the playoffs because they won the South and they actually won their first playoff game. If you remember that way back in twenty fourteen, uh, so they they lost the division round after. So they went one and one. I mean, 2012, um, when used when uh, TJ Watt won it for Houston, the next season, <laughs> how about two and fourteen? Yeah, they didn't make the playoffs. And if you go all the way back to Terrell Suggs in 2011, uh, what happened to to the Ravens uh, the next season? They went ten and six. They made the playoffs. Oh yeah, that's right. They also went four and zero, won the Super Bowl. So if you're looking at it, the defensive player of the year has only ever reached the Super Bowl. One time in the year that they won it, and that was in the last ten years, and that was Aaron Donald in two thousand eight. But you know, before that, you'd have to go all the way back to Troy Polamalu in two thousand ten. Okay, I said two thousand eight. Sorry, that was two thousand eighteen. Eighteen. Who got to add that team? All right. So, but so then, if you look over the last ten years. You're looking at what they do the year after they won the defensive player of the year. You know, you're coming off the award. You're you're leading your defense, all that good stuff. Um, it's either boom or bust. Three times teams have made it to the Super Bowl the next season after they had a player win defensive player of the year, and twice they've won it. And twice they've won it. So if you're looking at it there, you're looking at teams making the playoffs um, six out of the 10 times over the last 10 years. But what's crazy is their record is 12 and four. So if you look at the defensive player of the year, when they win it, they're five and 10 of the playoffs. But the year after they win it, those teams are 12 and four of the playoffs. So it seems like the defensive player of the year award kind of has a carryover into the next season. When it does, it does well. When it doesn't, it doesn't work out well. So like I said, there's been, there, there was four times in there where the team did not make the playoffs the year after someone won the defensive player of the year. But there's, but three, three times they went to the Super Bowl. Hmm. Interesting how it all plays out. I just thought those numbers were kind of crazy. So I've got two more questions coming. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to take our break and we come back. I've got two questions that weren't, uh, each one was, you know, good numbers, but they weren't super long. So we'll get, we'll take care of both of them in the second half. So stay right there. We'll be right back.
Pittsburgh Steelers fans, welcome back. Let's talk some numbers here. Let's keep it nerdy. Um, we're getting down and nerdy here. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself there. But uh, I'm going to reiterate again. Need some more questions. Need some need some more stat geek question. I really need your nerds to steal. Um, if you can send me something, I didn't say at the beginning. Oh my goodness. STLR superfandad at gmail.com. That is my email address. Or on Twitter, you can hit me up at, at STLR superfandad. Um, or you could just probably search for Dave Schofield. My name's there. Um, I'm pretty sure it's a picture of me and my Steeler Star Wars helmet. So you can't even see my face. Lucky for you. So got two more questions here. One of them, let, let, let's tackle this one first. This is um this is from M on Twitter at Southside underscore DOC said uh, at STLR Superfan Dad. Hey, that's me. I'm thinking about last week's hashtag Nerds of Steel and the wide receiver talk. So this goes back a, um, a couple weeks. Says, uh, what are the best statistics to evaluate cornerback play? Do the do they normalize the data for snap count or role, i.e. starter or sub package? That's a good question. What would you look at to try to figure out who's really coming through good at cornerback? So thanks for the question there, Southside. And I looked at it, so I'm going to give you my top five statistical categories that I would look at for a player. Now, we need to understand the context of these. You need to understand um, some of the basic statistics you look at for everyone in order to apply these even better. For example, you want to look at games played and even games started. More important, you might want to look at the percentage of snaps played. If you're talking about someone that played 10 games, but they only averaged about six or seven snaps a game, the numbers are going to be different. Now, a couple of these, you know, are, are calculated based on that, but you need to put it in the context of how many games the, the player played and how many snaps uh, they were getting. Because sometimes, oh, look, this number stands out great. But maybe it's it, not so much. Um, I have Joe Hayden's stats sitting up here um, for the for the last four seasons, some of his advanced stats that I could kind of use as an example as we go along. So here are my five categories with a with another one to consider tacked on at the end. First of all, unfortunately, I know I say this all the time that oh, well, they, a lot of people judge judge play in the secondary based on on big stats and and you know key statistics that might not you know might not be a player's fault if they get them or not. But yeah, we still got to look at it. So number one that I think you got to look at is interceptions. It, did the player get any interceptions? Like for example, Joe Hayden did not have any interceptions in 2021. It was the first time he did not um, since he only played five games for the Browns. I'm pretty sure that was 2015, if I get the year correct there. Um, there was borderline whether he had an interception. I was actually at the game. That was the Tennessee game. It was uh, the ball was to the receiver. The ball got popped out. He snagged it before it hit the ground. They ultimately ruled it a fumble that the receiver had possession of it. It didn't matter if it was a fumble or an interception. It was a turnover. They didn't review it to see if it was if it was a completed catch or not. So they just went with whatever um, the, the the statisticians from both teams had ruled it at the time, and they ruled it as a catch and fumble. Um, it wasn't determined. It wasn't verified by replay or anything like that. Um, but the number of interceptions is one. The, another one that I would say is how often were they targeted. If someone plays a high number of snaps in the secondary at cornerback and they are not targeted often, that tells you something about their play. It really does because because some you could have two players on the same team playing similar snaps 
and then but one of them's targeted twice as many as the other. That tells you that the that with the other one, the quarterback is not throwing their way, whether by reputation or whether by their play. They they aren't throwing their way. So that's the other thing I look at. I look at their targets, but along with those targets, the third thing is I would look at completion percentage. Okay, maybe someone's they weren't targeted very much, but there's a high completion percentage. Um, looking at those, like like for Joe Hayden, Joe Hayden was um, he was targeted 55 times this past season, um, compared to 79 the year before. But Joe Hayden also played two less games than that year because of the amount of times uh, that he played there. So those are fairly even, but. The completion percentage, uh, Joe Hayden gave up the, the biggest completion percentage since 2018. I don't have the numbers before that um, because he gave up 33 completions on 55 targets with a, for a 60% completion percentage. So there we go. We've got interceptions, targets, completion percentage. Here's another one that you could get, like if you go to Pro Football Reference and look at the advanced statistics. Touchdown surrendered. You got to look at it. You, you really do. Now, some of, some of the sites – it's a little bit tough to because it's it's all subjective on who you think gave up the touchdown. I know uh, actually when I reported last year that uh, that that Stephen Nelson had seven touchdowns scored on him, uh, he actually reached out to me and thought that was crazy. I'm like, this is what Pro Football Reference has, and I had to show it to him and everything. Um, there was one in there in particular that I don't think should have been his for sure, but uh, that's another statistic that they have. You could you could look at Pro Football Focus. Um, like I say, some of their stats are really good. Some of their stats are off. That's why I just can't trust them all the time. Um, a lot of the times I like to look at multiple sources if I'm going to be using theirs as well. So that's another statistic is how many touchdowns they gave up. Like Joe Hayden gave up three touchdowns last season. Um, and it was playing less games. But uh, he gave up five in 2019 uh, when he was a pro bowler. So interesting to know. And the and the other thing you obviously have to look at, oh, uh, this isn't even under the advanced statistics, and that is look at their passes defensed. Okay, passes defense, that means they broke up a pass. If you're breaking up passes, you're doing a pretty good job as a cornerback. Um, so, I mean, and those vary. Like, my goodness, Joe Hayden had 20 passes defensed in both 2013 and 2014 playing in Cleveland. He had 17 for the Steelers in 2019. Okay, he had six this past season. So, you know, he was down in, down in, in that department a little bit. So those are the five, main five I would look at. Interceptions, targets, completion percentage, touchdowns, and passes defensed. If there's something else you really want to look at that you think could, could, could really uh, tell you something, if you're looking on Pro Football Reference, they have another thing. It just says RAT. That's the passer rating of the quarterback whenever they were targeting that player. Um, it's not a perfect formula, but it's still not bad. Uh, you can see big, big changes in there. Um, from year to year could tell you um, some, some things there as well. I mean, you could always look at stuff at like missed tackles and things like that. But if you want to know more strictly from a cornerback and what they were doing, um, that's, that's the numbers I would look at. So thank you. Uh, thank you there very much. Southside underscore DOC um, for that question. I've got one more that I'm going to do. And that is coming from Brad underscore Lee um, on Twitter. And it was um, at TJ Watt Superfan is, is the handle. And he said, STLR Superfan Dad. Huh, that's me. Uh, says, Stack Geek question. In the Tomlin era, do the Steelers have a better win percentage at home or away? And how does playing at home really matter? Hashtag Nerds of Steel. All right. Well, for this, well, this is this was a pretty straightforward question. 
But uh, I had decided to also look at it as, as where the Steelers rank. He said in the Mike Tomlin era, so we're going from 2007 on. It's crazy because right now, after the 2021 season, half the teams in the NFL, looking at the regular season, have 120 games that they've played at home. And the other half have 121. The AFC has 121. The NFC has 120 because of that extra game that was thrown in this last year where they were all uh, AFC was home. After next year, and you add 17 games, um, those will even back out. So every other year you'll you'll be off a little bit, but that's just something something fun to remember. So if you look at it since 2007, at home during the regular season, I split I split this up between regular season and postseason because it's probably where where everyone really wants to see. At home, the Steelers are 88, 32, and one under Mike Tomlin. That is a 73.1% winning percentage. Okay. On the road. They are 66, 53, and one with a win percentage of 55.4%. So the Steelers do um, almost, you know, what is it, like 18.7% higher winning percentage at home than on the road. So was that typical? I'm going to tell you that's probably pretty close because I didn't look at everyone's in that respect. I did look to see where the Steelers ranked in the NFL over that time period. On the road, the Steelers are tied for the third best winning percentage on the road since 2007. They're tied for the third best. For their home record, they are all alone in third place. They are third. So they're third at home, third on the road. So very consistent whether the two, you would expect that kind of drop-off based on being home or away. So playing at Heinz Field definitely does have its advantages. If you've never been there to experience a game, um, you might not understand how much so and how much um, the energy from the crowd can really feed into that. That's what made that's what made 2020 such a weird season uh, with no one in the stands. Now, when you're looking at the postseason under Mike Tomlin, the Steelers are two and four on the road, which is a 33.3% win percentage. You're probably saying, yikes, probably. Okay. Their home record is five and four, which is 55.6%. So the Steelers have a better home record when, sorry, barely have a better home winning percentage in the postseason than they do a road winning percentage in the regular season. Now remember, when you're playing in the postseason, you're playing better competition. Now, when you're playing at home, you're generally playing a team that that you are you're at least ranked higher than them. You know, it, it works out sometimes that you know those wild card teams are. You can be the second best team in the NFL and be a wild card team if the best team in the NFL is in your same division. Um, but generally, the home teams are favored in the playoffs. So, but the the Steelers are you know fifty five and six. You're like, oh, that's not that's not good. That's middle of the road. That's sixteenth in the NFL. Six, that's the 16th best winning percentage in the NFL since 2007 um, in the postseason at Heinz Field. Now, that away percentage that you're like, yikes, that's only 33.3. Teams aren't supposed to win on the road in the playoffs. That's just not the way it's set up. It's not set up for them to do that. So the fact that the Steelers have that win percentage, that has them tied for 14th. So they're actually ranked higher on the road in the postseason than they are at home. Um, you know, they don't have as good as percentage, um, but under Mike Tomlin, that's just, that's just the numbers behind it. So, uh, once again, want to thank you for those questions. Uh, so, so thank you, uh, very much there, uh, TJ Watt, super fan. Uh, 
I'm going to say it one last time. Help me out. Need some questions. Could really use them. You fire my way. If I'm not going to be able to answer it, I will tell you, you know, because if I have to sit down and and watch every play um, from the 2007 season where the Steelers played at one o'clock at home in order to determine something, I'm probably not going to be able uh, to pull off that specific statistic. But if it's anything else that I just have to take the time to compile myself, that's what I do. It's that, that that's what I'm here for. And, um, I hope you all enjoy it. That's the best I can say. So, Hey, I already said, make sure you're checking out all of our podcasts. Make sure you're checking out the great work, um, from all the writers at behind the curtain.com. Uh, it really is your one-stop shop for all things Pittsburgh Steelers and looking forward to free agency coming up, looking forward to the draft and just looking forward to everything moving on. I'm excited to see what this 2020 Steelers team is going to be. Cause right now we don't know. There are so many question marks of, of who, who they're going to retain from their own players. Who are they going to try to add in free agency? What are they going to do in the draft? So much, so many question marks. I just want to, I, I want to see this team take shape and I'm really excited for that. So uh, thanks again for, for joining me. And as I always say, thanks for geeking out with me. We'll see you next time.